Hello, beauties. Welcome to Rebels on Purpose, a truth-telling podcast where we explore what it means to live boldly with purpose, on purpose. Through real conversations, we anchor radical curiosity, awareness, and love as fundamental tenets of our lives. We commit to relentlessly calling ourselves and one another up through presence, openness, and saying what needs to be said. This show is our way of calling a modern day circle where we focus on freedom, truth, joy, and the celebration of being fully alive. Please join me, Lindsay Nazan, and my bestie, Jamie Matiason, as we explore the fruits revealed to us through a devoted practice of soul inquiry as we journey towards our sacred responsibility. Welcome back. Hi, James. Hey, Linz. Nice to be back. Yeah. Good to see you. You too. So we hope you all enjoyed listening to our number one in the series of 10 about Ahimsa last three weeks ago. I guess it was now. Um, if you haven't listened to that podcast, we would recommend that you push pause and you go back and listen to podcast number five before taking off with this one, just because it is good to learn these in order. But if you're feeling the need for Satya and you want to be here for this one, then just go ahead and listen, go back and listen to Ahimsa later. (laughs) Um, but they do go together. They're fairly married as we mentioned in the last podcast. Yes. So Satya is kind of, uh, Satya means truthfulness, or, you know, if you break down the the word, it means sat is like true essence or like true nature, I think. Another way you could uh, break it down, obviously, we talked about this in the last podcast too, sun, the Sanskrit words get broken up in their energetic words. So they're really hard to translate to English directly, but another very direct translation of sat in, is like unchangeability or um, uh, that which cannot be distorted. And mm. I really like that part, the end part, the, the the not able to be distorted because that to me kind of gets at the heart of what Satya is actually about because people think about truthfulness and the first thing that you think is, well, that means that you don't lie, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the basic version. Yeah, that's the very basic, very sort of common sense, logical version. But when you think about distortion and we think about the ego and the way of the human being, we're constantly living inside of our distortions, right? We're, we are distorting the way we see the world through our own filters. And so when we, when we take, when we clean the lens of our own mind or our own distortions, we get clarity or we get reality, or we get a a bit of a bigger picture of what the truth actually is. And so Mm -hmm. I really like that. I like that breakdown of the, of the word Satya. Yeah. Yeah. Just, more than just true, true nature. Cause that's still yeah. kind of fe- feels intangible to me somehow. A little bit. Yeah. 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 How would you, how do you kind of break down Satya James? Um, um, for me, Satya, um, in my own experiences with the word, I mean, yes, tr- truthfulness resonates, but there's a different level to the truthfulness, uh, you know, outside of what you had talked about, about not just telling the lies, um, but cutting through the disillusionment of the narratives and the stories and the personas and all of those things that I carry about with me, um, that's kind of 
the greatest lessons that Satya has helped me uncover, which I wouldn't have, I really wouldn't have had a handle on that had I not read this book. I don't think to this degree when Deb talks about um, real versus nice. I mean, that when I first read that part of the book, I was like, what is happening? I just could not. I couldn't reconcile her words at all. I was just like, well, I want to be a nice person. And I, I don't understand why that's a problem because I lived there, right? Like I, I often joke with my friends and my trainees do, you know, I'm a recovering nice girl. Like I, I really, I feel that because I can also see that that's part of myself. But when I started to learn the difference between what it is to be real and what it is to be nice, and then to really step into that and the truth of, of that and the weight that that holds, um, I started to really understand this tenant, I think, um, but it, it, it was hard. That was really hard. So it's truthfulness at a level that is beyond um, just telling the truth, if that makes sense. I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of a roundabout way of saying like, the, it's just stripping down for me, stripping down the veils and the illusions and all of the the masks that we wear um, to be more whole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that you mentioned the word masks because that when I read, I reread this chapter in preparation for this podcast. And the, one of the big words that came through for me was this idea of being a chameleon. Mm. Something that I always honest, quite frankly, prided myself on being very, very good at being. I was, I am <laughs> I am a queen chameleon for sure. I have been in my life and looking at how that, I had a really big conversation with my brother about this over the holidays, just how, how well rewarded that way of being in the world is and how you can get to a point with it where you kind of believe that you're those people. Like, Mm, yeah, you're the, you're the entertainer at your workplace or you're the professional or you're the caretaker or, you know, depending on, on the different masks that we wear, we all have our own different versions of them, but uh, how they can kind of become you. And then you kind of believe your own bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) So just hearing you talk about the disillusionment and I'm talking about distortions, that's sort of what one, it's an example of what we're talking about here is that, as you live these ways of being of your ego or your persona uh, and you're not aware that they're a mask, because it's not that it's bad to have masks. We need to have filters. We need to have boundaries. We need to sometimes have some um, guardrails up around certain relationships or scenarios or things to keep ourselves safe and, you know, to get our needs met. Uh, That being said, if we mistake those personas for who we are, in the world, right? Like for me, and like you were saying, being a nice person, being a pleaser was a persona that became my way of being in the world and kind of became part of my identity. Yeah. So just, so when I started this work and I started to realize that that was actually a pattern that was a nice pattern Mm -hmm. that was covering up my own needs and was kind of hiding me from what I, who I actually was because I, I don't, I can't take care of everyone and not take care of myself. That's not actually real. It's really nice, quote unquote, (laughs) nice, but it's not real. Right. And so when I started to see some of that and break down some of that, it's like, oh, okay, I can, I can caretake and have a persona or something that needs to come to keep myself safe in that dynamic, perhaps depending on what I'm dealing with, but it isn't who I am. And I'm very clear about that. Yeah. And I don't go into that nature 
to the point where I leave myself behind. Yeah. Yeah. That is such a, that is such an epic lesson from Satya. It's, it's, I think the heart of it for me was learning my own inner authority and letting that lead my life rather than the expectations that were put upon me based on how I've interacted in the past. So it's not like these are, you know, people are doing this to us. It's, you know, we've, we've put ourselves into these scenarios and acted and behaved in a certain way. And we've let the persona kind of lead, lead the way when we haven't really checked in with ourselves about, you know, what is actually, you know, where am I actually in this moment? And that, that part of Satya helped me really learn how to be, it helped me cultivate a, a, a real true understanding of what presence was and the power of saying nothing and being in the stillness and being quiet. Because when you start to extract these personas and you start to kind of look at them and you start to think about, oh shit, I just put that on. I go into teacher mode when I go into teach a class and no wonder I can't feel myself when I'm teaching. And so when those those lessons started to show themselves of like, if I can just be in the discomfort of not putting on the persona and let the inner authority kind of run the conversation of like where I'm at from this moment and speak from that place. Um, it gave me so much relief in my life. It was just, I could feel the exhaustion dropping because it's really a lot of work to hold up all those masks from room to room and place to place in our lives. And I think, you know, the truthfulness is really the heart of this is the, how, how true are we being to ourselves first and foremost? I mean, and I think that's the biggest link to Ahimsa for me is like, it always comes back to our place in it first and foremost. And I mean, Ahimsa, Ahimsa has those, the power of that is when we do that work on, with ourselves. Yeah. And I think it's the same with Satya. Satya, I think I had to practice with people <laughs> first but the lessons were so internal and they were so um, centered on who I was in the world. And then as that got clear and I could just hold the space for that and, and not put the mask on and stay in the discomfort for one breath longer and just be in that, I, I really started to learn about who I was and who I wasn't. And yeah, there's there was a lot of um, turmoil in that for me at first, the really especially being a yoga teacher, you know, and a mother, like, ooh, wee, those were, it was like chunks of my body was like amputating pieces of myself in, in those, in certain scenarios. Mm -hmm. It also led to massive amounts of anxiety. And I didn't realize that until years down the road of doing these practices that a lot of my anxiety comes from the abandonment of who I am ooh. and putting on the mask. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the same with the Ahimsa, right? Yeah. And that's a massive life lesson. Huge, huge. Yeah. And I would say that I second that. I mm -hmm. had that exact same experience, just this like deeply torturous recognition of how, how much self-abandonment mm -hmm. was actually running my life mm -hmm. and the cost of that, like how much anxiety, how much pain, how much rumination, and ultimately how much illness came to me, to my being as a result of being unkind to myself in the name of kindness to everyone else in the name of self-sacrifice <laughs> and, and, and being untruthful to myself in the name of spirituality, quite frankly, yeah. you know, I would abandon my human self. I still do it. I'm working on it. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a daily practice still for me of not abandoning my humanness to be a spiritual person and recognize <laughs> that, that they're one in the same and they actually have to coexist while I'm in this body. <laughs> yes, absolutely.
they may not when I die and move on and go back to wherever the hell we all started from or whatever you believe. But in this, in this incarnation, I have to be in this body and I have to be like you were saying before, there's a, there's a reality of learning how to be with what is in the moment. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I love about Satya, which also comes from Ahimsa, they, they build together is this idea that Deb talks about of, of experiencing the life-giving opportunities as mm-hmm. opposed to the life, the life-taking or the energy-draining opportunities. And you were talking about how this helped you build so much presence in your life. And I would agree. I I've found so much presence coming from the 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 ability to recognize a life-giving opportunity or an expansive opportunity versus something that made me feel anxious or small or contracted or smooshed or somehow suffocated. Mm-hmm. And when I started to notice that, then I started to feel the expansion in different, like in different places. And I, I tried to go back when I was taking these notes, sort of think about what did that actually feel like? And the only thing I come up with in the initial stage, it was the, it was the suffering of noticing that I didn't have that. Mm. <laughs> it was the suffering in the, in the smooshiness of feeling like I have no space. I, I can't, I don't have time for presence. Nobody mm. sees me. I don't even bloody well see myself. I don't trust myself. I can't make a decision because I don't believe in my own decision-making skills. Like it was yeah. so squishy inside of that life of distrust. And the reason that I didn't trust myself was because I actually wasn't living in my truth. I wasn't telling the truth to myself and I wasn't really let telling the truth to the world because I was kind of chameleon living mm-hmm. and sunshine and rainbows was my, was my identity, right? <laughs> the nice girl to a T. Yeah. Yeah. So then I just, I started to notice these moments where, you know, I would, um, I would go to bed early, say, or take a bath and give myself an hour of something that I would never normally do. And then I noticed this feeling inside of, oh, this is glorious. There's like a, a glory of space, spaciousness inside of this experience. But I, it, I could barely feel it. It was like yeah. out there in the distance somewhere, but it was there. It was like this fleeting moment. I'm like, okay, there's nothing to this. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Totally. Yeah. And I mean, the, the part of like, how can we expect to be in true relationship with anything in our life if we're not willing to be truthful with ourselves? Like how it, it's not possible. So until we can get to that place in ourselves where we can start to cultivate a little bit of self-compassion for the, for the humanness, like you call it. And we start to do a little bit of that work. And then we start to think about like, when we even just take the space to check in about, you know, the example that comes for me is during my teacher training, my, my very first yoga teacher training, I was so worried about how I was supposed to be perceived as a yoga teacher that I didn't actually feel myself through that most of that training. And I was just kind of doing the motions, but I wanted what I thought were the fruits of that work, but I never got them. You know, I got pieces in that training because I actually had no relationship with the truth in myself. I was just being nice and doing the, doing the right thing and being good spiritual person. Right. So until I started to extract the nice girl (laughs) one fingertip at a time, I didn't even have, like you said, you know, those little glimpses, like, I don't know what this is, but there's a, there's a structural difference in how I feel in my body. I could feel something different in my body, but it was also very unsettling for me 
it felt very scary because in the past, what I started to recognize is telling the truth wasn't actually safe for me. So, and we learn those lessons often through, you know, the, those formative years of our life when we're a little bit more naive and we don't know, we don't understand the consequences of other people's um, projections and their agendas and whatever it is that, that, you know, starts to shrink us down as we grow older. And I, I think when I started to recognize that it's like, oh, I could give myself a little bit more self-compassion. I could be like, oh, you know, like this isn't just about me not wanting to be a truthful being. Um, this is actually that there's a whole complex here that's, that's unwinding and learning how to, to practice telling the truth in safe spaces was how I had to start doing that. And it took a really, really long time, like telling the truth. I was a liar by, by omission for the most of my life. I just wouldn't say anything. Right. Which is in a sense, it's, it's lying. It's, there's a level of, um, deceit in for myself first. Like I was always turning against what was true for me in order to uphold what I thought other people wanted from me and to pull those pieces apart and to start to feel into that and feel how that changed in my body and how it changed how I moved through the world was really a, a really hard work. And, you know, that is still unfolding to this day for me, um, really sitting in telling the truth even when it's really friggin' scary and there could potentially be a high cost. But what I've learned is that when I tell the truth, what I need to move in my life moves, something changes. The other person meets me where I want to be met. And it all comes back to these core feelings of wanting to be seen. Well, if you want to be seen, you better be willing to show yourself, <laughs> you know, and I used hiding as a way to not be truthful. It's, yeah. It was very complicated extracting all of these little pieces. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it takes a lifetime, honestly. I think there's always another layer. Um, but as I started to see, as the facade started to drop where I didn't feel like I had to put on a mask every time I went into a different social setting, my anxiety went away yeah. almost completely. Yeah. And I didn't feel the residue when I would go home. I wouldn't feel hungover or whatever that, you know, that depletion um, would come from having to hold those things up. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I definitely feel you there. And all the things that you said, I had had a very similar experience around, like I was talking about this, um, this feeling of that, that, that truth or that presence and that life giving energy mm -hmm. that comes in when we live in truth was so far away from me. And I knew it because my anxiety would tell me that. So yeah. I'm at a social setting or I'm teaching a yoga class or I'm teaching anatomy in university or I'm playing basketball on my, you know, in my team in high school. Like I have all sorts of examples where there was not an alignment of my, my truth in myself, which created this severe anxiety, like debilitating anxiety, which would completely uh, annihilate my performance ability. So I would get I would screw up, like I would fail or I'd make mistakes or I would forget, or I would uh, have stage fright or a panic attack. Like I literally would have an overt episode that would kind of take over and it would just sabotage the experience because that was my way out mm. of even recognizing why I was in that place in the, in that way in the first place. Yeah. I'm not being very articulate with this, but it's, it's this, uh, kind of a, there was so much, I had so much self-containment yeah. so small inside 
And, you know, talking about like being caged, right? Like we were talking about in the body image podcast, this feeling of smallness that I had to maintain because being big was so dangerous. Mm-hmm. Being my whole self is truth. Mm-hmm. And in my life experience and as a kid and a teenager and a young adult, every time I let myself be the bigness that I am, something bad would happen. Yeah. I would get hurt every, mm-hmm. every time. I would get hurt. I would get abandoned. Uh, something would fall apart or, you know, those are, those are kind of the themes for me. And, you know, I would be left ashamed and made a fool of in some mm-hmm. respect. And so I learned that truthfulness, whether it was me telling the truth or me being the truth through my way in the world mm-hmm. was rewarded the, or the cost of that was always pain. Mm always some kind of harm because it was missing from ahimsa there wasn't there wasn't a baseline or foundation of self-love in my in me so i couldn't i couldn't be with the truth in a way that wasn't going to harm me because my belief structure wasn't aligned with that yeah when you know once i started learning about Mm self-expression versus self-sacrifice or self-indulgence as deb talks about it in the second chapter then I started to sort of notice the difference in that nuance of feeling like, oh, getting in the bath for an hour is not self-indulgent. <laughs> it is like informing my self-expression, actually. Mm-hmm. But that took a really like that took, you know, years and years yeah. for me to start to learn the distinction of that. And then recognize, like you said, when I actually don't abandon myself and I stay with my wholeness, my bigness, <laughs> mm-hmm. whether it makes people uncomfortable or not. Mm-hmm. I was rewarded with no anxiety. I was rewarded with a feeling of calmness, a feeling of um, self-affirmation or trust inside of my body, which that's what trust feels like to me. It's just absent of anxiety. There's like a steadiness inside. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, I think that's, you know, the piece that I was talking about is like, we have to do that work in ourselves first, you know? Yeah. We get to practice with the outside world, but we really have to pay attention to the inner landscape as we're going through those things, because if we don't start to notice the nuances between those places of self-expression and self-indulgence, and we live in a culture that really doesn't support us taking care of ourselves in any real, real meaningful way. If we're not paying attention to those, those little pieces, like you said, like you could just feel a little touch of it in the bath, that little piece of expansion. If we don't pay attention to that, if we don't cultivate some relationship with that, we'll miss it. And we'll always continue to be on the outside of ourselves looking for, for the relief, which I feel is kind of what we, we think we're going to get. If, if I just, if I just fit into this group of basketball players, I will find my place in the world and, and this anxiety will go away. Or if I just fit into the academics, like I'm thinking of my, my teenage years when the anxiety level was like, I didn't even have a word for anxiety in, in high school. So, you know, I just, it, it makes me, it makes me wonder, like when, when you were talking about that of, as your, of your results, um, being that you got hurt, that there was pain at, what was the compelling thing that kept you going? Like, how, how did you overcome that? Huh? That's a good question. Um, I think that I always had there was, there's always, because I've always been a spiritual person, there's always been some undercurrent in me that believed, well, the truth, I believe, I've always believed the truth will set me free. Mm-hmm. 
it's the, it's been a foundation of my life since I was like seven, six or seven. And I've always believed that. So I guess there was a tether or an anchor somehow, even though it was buried Ooh. deeply sometimes and very dark, that there was always a hope there that Ooh. I felt that I would find the salvation of that if I just kept working hard, because I definitely had a value around hard work, which I, mm -hmm. I honestly still do. It's just very different now than it was then. Uh, and because now I will pursue hard work for a life-giving opportunity. And before mm. I would pursue hard work as a, as a sacrificing opportunity. Mm. And so I think that I had enough leadership around me of people who did live that way, that mm. I was inspired to know that it existed. Uh, and I just, I never stopped believing that it was possible for me. I just, I had no mm. idea how to get there, but I was right. like, literally like Dory, like swimming, swimming, swimming. <laughs> <laughs> someday, someday you will arrive <laughs> to this place. Oh gosh. I mean, that is one of, one of your most beautiful attributes is your ability to just stay in the heat of things and wait for the blessings of things. Like, because when you were telling that, I was like, God, yeah, like we do when we go through these places, I think, especially in search of the truth, like when we want to really understand this tenant or the tenant of non-harming and self-love, like this is not for the faint of heart. Like this work will rip you open. Like it just, it's, it's so exposing. And I know we both use that, you know, the analogy of like feeling like every nerve in your body is exposed and like, you can't even touch your own skin kind of feeling. So it was just fascinating to hear you talking about that. It's like, God, why do we keep doing this damn work? And it's because, you know, we, we got there <laughs> to some degree. I, I don't know what keeps us going, honestly, when we're in those moments, especially at the beginning of this work, when it's really, really difficult and there's so many things to look at and they're so, it's so loud. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's just the one little step at a time and, and the, the anchoring to the wisdom that is you. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness we have that even if we didn't have the language for it. Right. Yeah. I think that I've always known when the truth is being spoken, mm. I, I just have all, I feel like I can remember when I was a young, young kid and like the question for this week is all related around it. And it just really, like, I was thinking about it a lot, just how was I as a kid and how did I operate in the world? And I always just, I could tell when someone's telling the truth, there's something about it that I just feel inside Mm -hmm. And I would gravitate to those people and I would want to be around them. Mm. And I was also very aware of people who had what I had, which was like this really a dis a discomfort being in my own skin, a level of anxiety in any social mm. situation that I didn't quite know what to do with, but I knew it was information. There was something that always, I knew it was something that was be trying to tell me something inside. Mm hmm. Mm. So I guess that's why I didn't, it didn't go down the road of like depression to suicide type of path, which it could have very well. Mm -hmm. And not to say I didn't have those times that I was really in a dark place, but I had, I thinking back, I can think about, there was so many people in my life and they were all black sheeps. Like, as I'm thinking about them now, like they were all black sheeps and had, they had a lot of struggle, you know, mm -hmm. they were they were raw. They were, they were thick people as Deb would call it <laughs> they had substance. They had 
this something in their, in their being that made me feel like I could hold on to them. Mm. They were, they were really there. And that actually gave me quite a bit of staying power. Now that I'm thinking about it, I love that you asked this question. Cause I, I don't know. I just have always been like, we just carry on soldier. <laughs> but I do think that's what it was. Like I was blessed to have that's enough beautiful. of those people around, even though they weren't, they weren't always directly in my sphere. They were like on the periphery, you know, maybe like, I remember the secretary that worked at my high school, Ms. Stogie, like she was just too solid. And like, you go there and you have an issue and you're at the office or you're in trouble and you're sitting in detention in the office. Like she was just, <laughs> she was just really a strong anchor point, And she was, and maybe she was telling the truth. Maybe she wasn't. I don't know. But there was something in her being that was authentic. And there yeah. she was there for it. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's just an example of many. So yeah, it's a great question. Thanks for asking. Yeah, and yeah I can hear in you. It's that the truth, the truth, the truth cultivates trust within our relationships and trustworthiness is is a hard thing to, I, well, in my experience in my life, it's just been a really hard thing to feel into and to rely upon. And in order to be trustworthy, you have to be able to tell the truth about who you are and, and what you see in your relationships. Like that has been one of the greatest lessons that you have taught me and that I've been able to practice with you and with my partner, you know, like just this, this needs to be said every cell in my body is needing me to say this, but you know, in the past that didn't, that felt too scary. Like there was, the cost was too high. It wasn't safe to tell the truth. And as I started to practice and the cool thing about this work is you get more aligned, right? You get, you get clear about who you are and what you care about and who you want in your life. And then the right people are there to practice with. That's been my experience. And so it became a little bit safer. Mm -hmm. And then that would feed the next, the next thing that needed to be said. And then I was, the people would stay when I would say the thing. And I was like, okay. And I would feel that expansion. of, Ooh, this, okay. I would love a little bit more of this. I could literally feel the armor around my heart fall and dissolve. And then I could feel that of myself taking up more space and being seen and loved because of it, not despite of it. And that is a rare quality in people. So that is the quality that I'm interested in having in relationship in my life. So yeah, the circle gets a little smaller, but the the density of those people, the anchoring that they bring um, to my life is invaluable to me. And it gives me the courage to continue on the path of chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. It's like, there's always another, feels like there's always another scale to be pulled off of the armor of my heart every week, I feel another piece of that fall. And you have to have people who are safe to practice with, but for my experience anyways, of, of how truth um, has kind of evolved in my life. And so when you're talking about these people on the periphery and like, it's so fascinating to look back at like the journey of defining truth, because that is kind of the ultimate goal of yoga for mm -hmm. me is like, who is, who am I really? Yeah, it's it's so cool to hear those stories and see all the little the little dots that connect it. Yeah, I love that you bring up the seeing piece. To see and articulate what you see in the world is a non-negotiable for Satya. Mm -hmm. like you cannot you cannot hold in what you see and expect people to see you wholly back. Mm -hmm. And you cannot 
hold in what you see and experience and expect um, your humanness to be met, your needs to be met as a human being. That's yeah. what I've experienced is like you, you get, you cut that off completely. If you hold back this, this seeing the results of seeing, and I, it's funny you asked this question. And then you said that because I realized as I look back and think back, seeing was always there. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I took from Deb's book and she kind of talks about and touches a little bit is this reality that there's a cost to everything. Mm-hmm. And so there's a cost to telling the truth and there's a cost to not telling the truth. So you get to choose which cost you want. It's hard either way. You get to choose your hard. (laughs) So, but one of the costs of telling the truth that I have decided over the years that is worth it is there is a huge loss of innocence that Mm -hmm. comes with truth telling and, and seeing and telling the truth that you see as you see it. Um, And I think I actually lost that innocence very, very long time ago. Mm. I didn't know that I had lost it. And I kept feeling like I was on the outside because most people don't, they don't see it, you know? And so then I'm interacting with people and I'm in the, in trying to have a real conversation and I'm being sort of pushed back on with what I see is untruth. And I'm like, am I the one who's full of shit here or like what's happening? You know, and so there is, it's a real paradox because as we grow, like as we come into more truth, as we express what we see in the world and as the world, as ourselves coming back Mm -hmm. at us, we experience growth yeah, and expansion, right? As you walk along that, you also have this experience of like, there is not much innocence in that. It's, it's raw, it's brutal, it's Mm -hmm. terrifying, it's hugely risky, it's courageous and, and it's harsh. Like it's really harsh Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the time. And, you know, there's real suffering that lives inside of that truth. And there's, but there's also pure beauty and union and perfection that lives inside of it as well. And so that is part of the choice. And in recent experience, I have recognized that my level of my level of relationship with truth is such that sometimes there's people in my life that want to stay in that innocence mm-hmm. and I push against that and they do not like it. Mm-hmm. And in response, they say goodbye or they get angry or they get, they get into their pattern. They get into their, their stuff. And then what goes away right away is well, truth, but kindness, kindness just falls to the wayside. Yeah. Yeah. And that has been so fascinating to experience for me and to recognize that, um, that that's actually who, who I am. And I think who I've been for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And that means that there's certain people that are not going to rub well with me mm-hmm. and that's okay. Like mm-hmm. but I have to actually be real about that. It's like, I'm yeah. not a particularly innocent person in that way. You know, I don't know if that lands, but yeah. Yeah. The, there's the naive, the naive part of that way of being in the world can't be present with truth in, in my experiences either. Like, and you have to be able to for me, if I, if I want to have relationships in my life that matter, like if I'm going to have an output and have a real connection with people, it's hard fucking work. Like in my experience, it has been hard work and there's not very many people that fall in that category. And it's kind of shocking being 46 years old and thinking like, 
you know, like I can count on one hand, the amount of people I can sit in truth with real honest to goodness truth. And so what are we doing? That's what I keep coming back to. It's like, why, why is, what are we so afraid of? Like, and I know we each all have our own stories, but the experience is like you said, you choose your heart because not telling the truth is really hard to, and it has a high cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not looking, I guess maybe it doesn't, it's just, that's what you just call your life. <laughs> but you mm-hmm. know, the, the, the stripping down and sitting in the discomfort of the heat of telling the truth, cause it can burn hot. Um, it, when a, when a person sits across the table from me and is willing to do that, I am, I am so grateful. I'm so bloody grateful for those people because I recognize how hard it is. And it's such a skill that most people don't have. And I just appreciate it so much because it, it actually allows me to be in relationship with myself in a new way. Every time somebody sits across from me and in a really authentic way of seeing the person who is letting me see them because they're willing to tell the truth. They're willing to sacrifice the bullshit. And sometimes the bullshit is what's holding the relationship up, you know? And so that means that we might fall here. Yeah. And that just, to me, just, I just, I bow down to that quality and I just, I want more of that in my life. And so I just keep practicing because I watch what happens in myself first and foremost. And then in the person sitting across from me or, you know, on the telephone or wherever it is, wherever that is happening. And I've, I've practiced that with my partner, like who I've been with for just like three and a half years now, when I first met him, I'm like, this is where I'm at. Like, I, this is what I'm practicing in my life. It's like, I only am interested in telling the truth. And I recognize that that's a really hard thing to do. And I'm not very good at it yet, but I'm really, that's what I'm really interested in working on. And that's why I want to be in a partnership. You know, one of the reasons I want a partnership and I've had the opportunity to continue to practice that with him. And it's, it's getting better and easier, but at first it was like crying. Well, I'm going to cry, but I have to say something that's really hard and it's not going to come out quite right. And I just remember the quaking in my body of the sitting on the cliff of the unknown. It was like walking a tightrope over the Canyon. Like it just had so much danger and fear packed into all of it. And I mean, that a lot of that's my narrative based on the context of my life. And so I could, I knew that before going in and that's why I could practice. I think it's like, okay, that is just the story that's pushing this a little bit and it's real. I feel these feelings and what happened when I would say the things very inarticulately and very imperfectly is my partner would literally arrive physically right beside me. And I was like, oh shit, (laughs) because I was ready to armor up and say, F you see you never like that was, uh, that was the cost that I thought, but I knew that the cost of that was better than the cost of not telling the truth. I had gotten to that place. And then I thought, and then this dance happens between the two of us of like stripping down the bullshit and sitting in the vulnerable I don't know what, I don't even know what the words are for that feeling of just sitting in truth is what it felt like of just sitting in the truth of who we both were in that moment and just being with each other. And it changes everything. It changes the trajectory and things don't get to be different from that point on. That is the precedent you're setting. And those are the relationships I'm interested in in my life. And if it means I only get three of them, well, then I am blessed. That's how I see it. Yeah. Oh man. Amen to that. 
Yeah. I remember that exact experience with Ari and we got to this point where I recognized how much I had abandoned myself in my marriage Mm -hmm. uh, for the sake of being um, someone who holds up someone else's dreams and, you know, stomps on myself in the, in the process. And that was all about me. That was me holding myself down because I was scared to rise and, uh, scared to be seen. I was so terrified to be seen in my wholeness. And so once I started to commit to that wholeness on a new level, which is equals truthfulness, right. (laughs) Myself and cultivate this self-worth that meant that I was, I, I deserved it. I was, I was I'm a sacred being and I deserve to rise. I deserve to be all of myself in my life, including inside of my marriage. I, it changed how I engaged in communication. And that was so hard. Like even talking about it now, I can feel like everything starts to vibrate. Like, oh my gosh, like the hardest conversations of my life. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I did it and I did it with the support of people <laughs> who love me and were, were there sort of cheering me on and saying, reminding me, this is who you are. Be who you are. Don't be that girl. Be this Lindsay. This is who you are. And so then I would take that Lindsay and I march into the conversation and I would like <laughs> shaky voice, cry my way through. I really have to say this and I'm really scared, <laughs> but I have to say it anyways. And, you know, and then we would have the conversation we would have and, you know, God bless him. My amazing husband, just, he rises every time and he sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, brings it to the table and I rise and we just keep choosing each other. But I think, when I heard you share the example about you and your partner, like I feel like acceptance of, of what is mine and what is theirs has to be there for that kind of spoken. The level of sacred, sacred responsibility in this work is so high because if I don't know what's mine, I bleed all over them. If I don't know what's, if I don't know what's theirs, I steal tons of stuff from them and take it on and project it all over myself. And, and I talk on a turn and I make up stories. Right. So if I accept what is my responsibility here and what do I actually have control Mm. over? As soon as I start to connect with that, the anxiety starts to go down. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. as I start to speak it out loud, the anxiety goes down more. And even if the whole thing blows up in my face, like recently I had a relationship fall apart And that is what happened. And I sit on the other side of this now feeling more myself. Mm. Don't get me wrong. One of the most painful experiences of my life and I am still grieving it. And yet I know who I am inside of that dynamic and what I chose to give up because there was codependence happening there. And there was a lot of abandonment that kept on occurring inside of myself to make the relationship continue, which, you know, if I was going to stay with that, but I just knew I couldn't anymore. It's like, I can't pretend and I can't enable and I can't lie to myself about myself. And that was, um, that was really hard because the, the cost was that I got left behind I felt like I got left behind and I had to leave the relationship. It was like this mutual ending. And I was like, holy crap, this is grown up business. This feels, this feels, um, very different. And I guess what I, why I'm telling that story is because there is an aloneness that lives in this work, Mm -hmm. uh, that 
I have had to come to terms with and accept, like when I took that conversation to Ari, there was a very real risk that he was not going to, it wasn't going to land well. And I was going to end up split after 20, 20 years with my partner. Mm-hmm. I took the risk because the risk of staying small was too dangerous mm-hmm. and painful for me at that point. I'd, I would yeah. have rather the other, I mean, glad it didn't go that way. <laughs> mm. But in that moment, I didn't know because real is un uncontrollable real is unpredictable real is spontaneous real doesn't give you you have no nothing to hold on to right whereas when you when you're nice you can it's controlling it's a controlling behavior Mm -hmm. you can sort of play it and strategize and manipulate and make it work in your way that keeps you quote safe yeah wow like yeah i love that i love that idea that's mm -hmm. a great way of looking at it real yeah, you you don't know how these things are going to land when you're real. It's just you get to the place when you work with these two tenants, especially when you let these two tenants kind of lead each other back and forth that you're just not willing to sacrifice who you are and who you know yourself to be for the sake of belonging somewhere or fitting in, I guess, because the belonging comes when you actually own all of that. And yeah. And so the things, when we actually stand in the truth of that and we can, because it's the greatest act of self-love to me is to tell the truth about who I am and not let that stay small inside of me and to not smoosh it or, you know, water it down or whatever. And it is a daily practice. And there's sometimes I get in the shower and I'm like, Oh God, I was, I could feel the room shrink because I got big and loud. I could feel it. And and then you go through the narrative of like, oh, was I too much? And it's like, nope, I'm not actually interested in not being too much anymore. So that takes a long time to learn, or it has for me anyways, to just be okay with that. And when we step into that and the people who are actually interested in, in the same thing and have the same kind of, those same kind of burning narratives inside of them that are really keeping them segregated and separate inside themselves, they will come up and they will join your tribe. And I mean, I just, I think that's part of so much of the work that the world needs right now is we just need to start telling the truth, like just a little bit, right? Like just a smidge would be great at this point. And it's just, so the loneliness that you were talking about comes, I think from that, when you look outside the windows and you see what's happening around us, it's like, oh God, that's why sometimes we choose to close the shutters and stay inside, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it's just not worth it to not do this anymore. It's just not worth it because the other way was so painful too. There was just a different kind of level of pain of not telling the truth and not taking care of myself and not putting myself first. And yeah, maybe I had bigger circles, but they there was no there was no real relationship in those circles. It was a lot of work to tell you the truth. And it was, it depleted me. And I would rather be this way. I would rather just say the hard thing and say the scary thing and trust that the unfolding of that relationship and the person who I'm having those hard relationships with will rise with me. And if they don't, that's not my business. I'm still going to put myself, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm not going to betray myself anymore for the sake of this, the easier, the path of, you know, the least resistance, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The sunshine and rainbows are the (laughs) path, right. Um, the path of no conflict, the path of no disagreement, all of it, it, any, any sort of discontent is 
avoided when we play this game of, well, let me walk on eggshells and just say what I think you want to hear. Oh God. And that is how so many, so many people and, and I lived for a long time of, you know, just mm-hmm. what, what can, how do I need to say this so that they're going to be perfectly good and they're going to feel good about themselves and they're going to be happy and they're going to think I'm great. <laughs> and, you know, when, when I stopped doing that, well, when I s- started to shift that, let's be clear, I didn't just stop doing it. That'd be great if you could do that. <laughs> Yeah, where is that button? <laughs> Where's that easy button? Yeah, no, it doesn't exist. So when I started to shift it, it was so tenuous and awkward as hell. And mm-hmm. I would like have a rash all over me and I'd be like, okay, so I just have to say this. And it was just, it was, it was embarrassing, quite frankly. Like it just felt so <laughs> uncomfortable because not only was I scared of the truth and the response I was going to get, I was terrified mm. of my own voice judging me for how I was being in that scenario for, for being myself. I, I did not like myself. So when I would show up as me, the critic voice was just like annihilating for me Mm -hmm. I would go away from the conversation. And then I would just completely go to war with myself about what, what I said and how I said it. And it wasn't good enough and you shouldn't have done that. And you're just a horrible piece of garbage. And that actually was was the was the worst part of it. That was where most of my work with Satya was. It wasn't so much about not not knowing the truth of seeing another. It was m- my truth with myself. Mm. And when I started to find some worth inside of that, and some some self love, and some willingness and desire to take up some space and hold myself tenderly a lot of relationships got very rocky. Like, you know, my relationship with my mom, for example, is like really hard for quite a long time. Like she didn't talk to me for a while. I had to, it was a huge cost. And she came around in the end and she, cause she loves, she loves me and she Mm -hmm. didn't want to not have relationship. And there were pieces of me that were hard for her. Just like there were pieces of her that were hard for me. And yet we came to a place where we understood those are pieces, but we, Mm -hmm. those aren't, those aren't everything. So let's, let's meet where we can meet and be with each other in that truth. And, you know, I'm so grateful for that because my mom is not with us anymore in form. And she, that's what I'm left with is the truth of who I knew her to be, not this really like codependent caretaking back and forth relationship that we had for a long time before that. And that is such a gift. Like I wouldn't trade that for anything, even though it was really hard to get through, you know? Yes. I remember. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's just such an invaluable tool. And, you know, one of the things I've noticed recently in this, this latest season of my life of coming to this next place of wholeness in myself is the power of belief and what people, what we make truth be through our belief structure. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, for example, this, this belief that truth is harmful. So I had this belief for a really long time and I don't have it anymore. And I know I don't have it because I just ended a friendship over this Mm -hmm. and the friendship got ended right back. And the reason that it got ended was because our beliefs clashed. So my belief is, is that the truth moves, the truth moves into healing. The truth moves us into what is real. And mm-hmm. what is real is power and kindness and love and union in my, in my mm-hmm. view, my truth. 
And the other truth is that the truth hurts and that no matter what you say or how you say it or when you say it or where you say it, if you tell your truth, the other will be hurt and or you will be hurt. Mm -hmm. And what I learned through this experience was like, yes, that's true. If you believe it's true, because I'll tell you what I got, I got really hurt. I got Mm -hmm. really, really hurt by this whole scenario. And I know the other person did too. And the way in which the, the, the truth was told was very targeted and it was very particular and very specific. And it was like a character assassination Yeah. versus having a, an acceptance and a perspective of what is causing this conflict. Yeah. And who are the people who right. are there? The, the human beings sitting at the table. And that got yeah. missed. So yeah. we, couldn't, we couldn't meet each other there. Yeah. And I'm not willing yeah. to go that. So what do you do? Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, and sometimes I think the truth is what's lying beneath the beliefs. Oh, 100%. <laughs> it's, the, the truth is big T. Uninterrupted. There's no... It just is. And then we have to be aware of our layers and the lenses that we're looking through. And we have to look through all the lenses and layers and all the windows around it when we're in these kind of, I think when we're in these kind of dynamics with somebody where where our belief systems have like locked horns. And if you aren't willing to get up and take a seat on the other side of the table and look through that, that lens over there and look through that window over here and open that door and lift up that corner of the rug and look at all your dirty shit that's informing this, there isn't going to be anywhere to go. If you just hang on to the belief system as truth, yeah. you're, you're, you're missing the mark. <laughs> the truth, the truth is the thread that runs through all of it, Absolutely. you know, and it, it cannot be, I don't know. It's this, it's such a hard thing to talk about. It's, I, I really feel like a lot of this is the stuff you have to experience in your life, but it doesn't, it's, it can't be altered by, like assassination or, uh, you know, it won't move through that. It, no. it will not be impacted. And if you can't see that and you just go for whatever the, you know, the shot in front of you because you're hurt and you're not seeing that you're wounded and hurt, which is actually the truth. <laughs> it's, it's not going to go anywhere. It's just, it just, there's nowhere for it to go. And yeah. so, I mean, then there ends the cycle, right? And and what needs to die will die there and will inform the next growing of whatever's underneath of that. But I think that is one of the things that happens in our culture is because we're not telling the truth from the truth inside of us. We're telling the truth because we want to be right, usually in conflict. That's been a lot of experience I've had and a lot of things that have been shared. It's like, you stop seeing the other in that place, right? You're acting, you're either you know, acting on behalf of your wounds or your trauma or wanting to be right, which is also probably coming from some kind of wound in you, you know, whatever that is. And you stop seeing the other. And if you stop seeing the other, you're going to do damage. You're going to hurt somebody. Totally. And then you're not operating from the love inside of you. You're not the, the, the truth will level things and get to the harness and the heart of the matter but it needs to come from that place that is spoken of seeing the other. Like if you aren't present, when you speak the truth, you are going to annihilate people. You are going to do damage. 
And that is, that is a nuance you have to practice, I think, because it's not just about fire hosing all the, all your shit onto somebody. It's like, you actually have to sit and strip down your bullshit around it as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's super tricky. And I love that you were able to tack onto my story, like the philosophical side of why I told that story. Cause you nailed it because <laughs> the power of belief is so damn strong. I mean, religious religion is a classic example of that. Like you cannot deter someone out of their belief and a belief is not the truth. A belief is what someone's opinion is about the world. It's not truth. It's very subjective. It's very perspective based or sorry, uh, it's very personally based and or organizationally based or group based, you know, it's conditioning. It's not real. Mm -hmm. It's just not real. It's, and so it's very fundamental for people who have strong beliefs that they can't see that it's a belief. And it doesn't mean it's not, might not be true for them. It might be, but if you think of it as you, it's who you are. Truth hurts, truth hurts. That's who I am. You cannot live outside of that. It's going to run your life and it's going to run your relationships mm-hmm. and how you communicate and how you operate in the world. And mm-hmm. what I love that you said that ties it together is this is why Ahimsa and Satya have to be bound nonviolence, kindness has to be bound with truthfulness or like living in reality. Because if we separate them, then we weaponize truth and we don't, um, so we, we lose truth if we uh, just go into ahimsa, right? We're just like being loving and we're giving of ourselves and we're sacrificing ourselves and we're not actually sitting in what's real. Then we lose mm-hmm. satya. Right. So we have to have both. We have to be able to recognize, like you said, I love how you said it, get up out of your chair and go sit on the other side of the table with the person you're engaging with and get in their seat and actually Mm -hmm. ask yourself, okay, what is it that they're experiencing? Can I see see and feel into their wounds? And then if the answer is yes, well, then I'm damn well not going to say something that's going to target that. Even though if I was sitting on the other side and I was just... I was weaponizing it and I was like, well, I believe this, then I'm just going to say those things and they are going to hurt. They're going to ping that very wound in that person. But I'm, if I'm not paying mm-hmm. attention, I'm not even going to notice. And so this is the, yeah. this is the nuance that I think you're talking about this, like yeah. uh, contrast between the balance of truth and kindness in its expression. Right. If we don't, if we don't have a relationship with our own beliefs and recognize that they are just that they're limited because they are beliefs, then we, we aren't going to get there. We're going to miss the boat Yeah, and we're going to do harm. Yep. And I, I really believe that, you know, ahimsa is a daily practice because so many of us are disconnected from having any, um, appreciation for, who we are in the world and loving who we are in the world or even any level of self-worth. And so if you don't love yourself and you try to speak the hard truth, you are going to hurt somebody. You have to have some rooting in your own worth and your own love in order to stay in an honest and, um, in a relationship, in relationship with somebody where you don't operate from the wound because not loving yourself is a wound, right? Like that is the foundational part of this practice. And if you don't love who you are in the world and you get into a conflict with somebody, you're going to go straight into 
weaponizing or not seeing the other. Like as soon as you stop seeing somebody, it's dangerous in those in those in those highly loaded kind of situations. And that's where we make that's where we make harmful mistakes that we might not even be aware of until the aftermath, right? And sometimes it's too late. Yeah. Yeah, they're very, very, the the dance between those two things, I think is, they cannot be extracted from one another. And um, they both have to have a seat at the table when we're going into these really hard times where we're really trying to tell the truth about what we see and how, how we feel. Yeah. You know, I think that cleaning our lens, like I was talking about earlier, how Deb talks about it, this uh, consistency of reevaluating our own perspective and our own beliefs. I mean, in my coaching, yes. that's so much of what I've done with my own work with myself, yes. really honing. What are my limiting beliefs? What are they, whether they're limiting about myself or they're limiting about other people or they're limiting about the world, but beliefs inherently are limiting. Yeah. <laughs> they just are until we break yep. free from, from thinking that they are who we are. Once we break free from it, then a belief can really support us. I think that is so misunderstood about truth is that it's, it's subjective and belief-based, but I mean, and it is because that we're human. So we operate from that place. Yeah. Like you said, if there's no sense of self-knowing or self-identity or self-love, then when we tell the truth, it's coming through all the filters of our own hurts, our own wounds. And even if we know ourselves and we know our own, we see our own wounds, we still don't get it right all the time. Like this is why, Know. you know, Ahimsa is so important because we have to be gentle with ourselves when we do fall into a wounded pit and we say something from that place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a matter of accountability, <laughs> but you know what? One of the greatest things is I think we practice this telling the truth to one another is that you build a trust between the two. And so when I make a mistake, but I'm, you know, my intention was to do the, to do my best. And I maybe, you know, I operate from a place that wasn't clear, or I say something that I shouldn't have said or whatever it is. If I have a, a trusting relationship with the person that I'm doing this work with, they will rise up to that and walk through that with me. But we both have to stay in the truth, <laughs> which isn't always what happens when somebody gets hurt, right? It's, it's so easy to go into being defensive and when somebody is trying to tell you what they see. I, I just, I think the the level of relationship that has to be there in order to do this work, which I've seen firsthand over the last few years of like what happens when it's not, <laughs> um, it, it, it can be devastating, right? And it can set you back yeah. where it's like, oh, I don't actually think I'm going to do this anymore because that burned really hot. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that has happened to me for sure. And totally. I think you fall down and then you collect yourself <laughs> and you bring it back together and, and you have some, and then you have some really safe experiences and you kind of build yourself yes. up and then you're like, okay, now I'm going to do a real hard one. And you go to the next level and you know, it's, it's not linear, right? It's peaks and valleys and that is life. Yeah. That's, and, but if it's truthful, it will always move you to the next place. The next totally. place that's, you know, it's quite beautiful. And that's where Deb talks about the life giving opportunity of like, you can be doing the dishes and be in as much bliss mm -hmm. as making love to your partner. Like those two things yeah. could actually be on the same scale if you approach life from this place. And that's a practice of a lifetime. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a believer yet. 
I've watched a lot of dishes, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm willing to, I'm willing to keep at it because that sounds like that would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I'm just keeping us in the game. We're hanging on to that belief. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned. That's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, one of the last things from Deb's chapter that I love about Satya that is was has been so impactful for me. And honestly, I think about it every damn day in when I'm in relationship mm. in my life, is this concept of doing it right the first time. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just think about, you know, when I ran my business and how many times mm-hmm. I had to clean up my own mess. That's so annoying. So annoying. So for this, like an example is like you, you know, I don't set a boundary with a a staff member about something, something that I expect from them or need from them as an employee, for example. And so that I don't tell them that when they get hired, I don't tell them that on their first shift when they're not, when they're showing up five minutes after they're supposed to start. And I haven't really stipulated how important it is to me that they're on time for their shift, for example. Mm -hmm. And then they just keep coming late. And it's like five minutes late, the first shift and the next is seven. And then it's 10 and then it's 15. And then it gets to be like 30 minutes late. And then I freak out and I'm like, I write them up and I want to fire them. And I kind of hate their guts. And they're like, whoa, who is this lady? She's so mad. You know, the truth of the matter is that's on them for being late. Yes, but it's on me because I didn't actually set the parameter. I didn't hold them accountable. I didn't tell them the truth that it's not okay to be late for work. Like you got to show up on time. It's pretty simple, right? That's a really simple example. But um, yeah. we, we avoid those little truths all the time and they, and then they lead to these explosions. Yeah. 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 It is. It is a really good, it's a really good one to keep in mind. Yeah. Doing it right the first time. Yeah. It marries really well. I think with the real versus the nice, right? Because the not saying the little truths all the time is this feeling of, Oh, I'm being nice. I'm flexible. I'm easygoing. Yeah. 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 So, and it's also about saying no, no, this is acceptable. And I couldn't say no. I remember I used to refer to myself as being vitamin D or vitamin N deficient. I was vitamin no deficient (laughs) for many years (laughs) of my life, you know, and, uh, that was part of that. So not doing it right. The first time was because I was scared to say, actually, that doesn't work for me. I actually don't think that I can do it this way or the, I don't want to come to your party. So then I would wait an hour before and lie and say, I'm not feeling well, like, come on, seriously. Like, you know, these kinds of things, those are, those are untruths that build up to be something really unhealthy. Absolutely. Yep. And it's all self-betrayal, like all of that, especially if you're trying, if you do the work of like, I really want to live an aligned life. I want to be in alignment with my values and and my self-expression. And then you continue to have these little self microaggressions over and over and over again, where you just betray yourself over and over again in these small ways. I mean, that is the essence of Himsa again. It's like, there is something lacking in how you, how you hold yourself in the world that you're not even willing to take care of yourself, to tell the truth about what's happening for you. And so you'll just lie about it and you'll just kind of wiggle your way out of it. Like it is so detrimental and I lived there for most of my life. Me too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm so grateful that I don't live there anymore. And definitely have moments, you know, I have moments. Mm-hmm. I still oh, yeah. could, have, could have been a little more real with what I needed, but I don't, I don't lie about that stuff anymore. Mm-mm. 
Yeah, it's pretty amazing. All right. Anything else you want to add, James, before we wrap? Um, no, I think just if you're going to start to navigate these two tenants, um, to just to do little bits, to just take small bites, be really gentle with yourself. Um, often we're bumping up against very deeply grooved patterns in our being and to have, to have a safe person to practice with, I think are the biggest things like you can't do this work alone. And a lot of it you have to do by yourself, <laughs> but you can't really practice this by yourself. You need somebody to witness you. And so I think starting to kind of just, just take inventory of, of what that looks like in your life. Who, who's the person that you can kind of practice this stuff with and, and to just be really gentle. Cause you're going to, you're going to mess it up. You're going to not, you're going to do it imperfectly. And that's part of the process of this. Cause there's learning in that as well. How do you know? If it's a safe person. Hmm. <laughs> For me, it's somebody who tells me the truth. Honestly, okay. that's, that is really honestly what it's come down to is like the people in my life who we start out as acquaintances and, you know, what, in whatever way we meet. And then if we deepen our relationship where we spend more time together and then we have conversations because I don't really do small talk. So generally the conversations will have some weight to them. And then, you know, we, we tell the truth and we let people see us. And so somebody who lets me see them and um, receives me in, in my um, whatever I'm going through or whatever we're, we're going through together in relationship, I think, that has been the, the, those are the anchors for me. So if, if they're willing to tell me the truth or say hard things about who they are and show me their shadows and, you know, in an appropriate way over time, if you sit down on my first coffee date with you and you tell me all your deep, dark secrets, I'm probably going to have some boundaries and flags around that. Like it, it's just an evolution of a, a back and forth between being seen, seeing the other and being willing to tell the truth and have those conversations that actually I'm interested in having, I guess. And I've done some really hard work with people who started out as acquaintances, you know, when we become friends and, and then I guess sometimes you just take a risk. There's a level of risk. And, and then if, if, if they if they mess it up real bad and they don't show up and take responsibility for that, there's the trust goes away. Right. And so, but if you, if you work with, if you're in a relationship with me and we, we make mistakes and we, we accept that about one another and we take responsibility for that, that goes a really long way with me. And then I start to trust. I mean, there's very few people in my life that get a front row seat. There's a couple yeah. and that's by design because this takes, this takes an, a tremendous amount of practice and I'm not willing to uh, sacrifice myself in order to be liked by someone or whatever the narrative is around that. So, yeah, I just, I think it takes time and, you know, I hope, I hope everybody has at least one person, but I don't know if that's true, but hopefully you have somebody that's willing to work this path with you. You know, it's, it's pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we meet people where we are. Mm -hmm. and then we can build from there. Right. Mm -hmm. So like you said, it, it does take time and it's an evolution. And I think that practicing telling the truth to someone and seeing how they respond is how you build trust, both in your ability to tell the truth and into, to have it be received. 
Like for me, when I'm, when I'm engaging with someone new, I kind of like test it out. I say some things. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you do. (laughs) Yeah. I just like say some things and I see how it lands. And then that, to be quite honest, is how I discern Mm -hmm. the level of trust, whatever level of trust is where they get to sit in my arena, whether they sit in the Mm -hmm. third row or the 55th row, (laughs) you know, and the same as you, like there's not very many in the front. Um, It's an earned place in my, in my, at this stage of my life, I gave away my front row seats to people who did not take care of those seats for a long time mm-hmm. and yeah. to my own detriment. And, you know, quite frankly, to their detriment too. Um, totally. yeah. you know, and this is the, this is what Deb talks about of the paradox of growth and belonging is like, I wanted to belong so bad that I gave away my front row seats to anyone who wanted to see it, to sit there. Mm-hmm. And they threw eggs on my face every day, all the time. And I kept on dancing on stage, like, like, you know, a little Pinocchio nose, just getting longer and longer. It's quite the metaphor. Um, Yes, it is. (laughs) You know, and then eventually started to clean that mess up. It was like, oh, I don't, I don't want this on my egg on my face. And I, I want to be seen. I actually want to be seen as me. And so I had to, Mm. I had to rearrange the seats a little bit. And, um, and first and foremost, I had to sit my ass down in that front row and look at myself and say, okay, (laughs) you get to be who you want to be. So who's that? And same as you just so much deconditioning around, um, needing to belong, needing to be liked. And and my desire to grow has always been so strong, mm-hmm. but it's now so s- stronger than my need to belong. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's well put. Yeah. I mean, look at the evolution of our friendship over the last decade, like the level of truth and trust that we have cultivated has gone to the next level just in the last year, you know, like this is the depth of this work can be so fruitful and so meaningful and so affirming that it's just worth it. And we have been on rocky ground before where it's like, if you don't start telling the truth, we done (laughs) like, and sometimes you get to those come to Jesus moments where it's like, okay, we're at a crossroad here for lack of a better analogy, but there is a place right now where we need to decide, like, are we going to grow together? Or are we just going to say our goodbyes? You know, and that, I think that happens when you, when you walk this path, I think it's just inevitable. And the more you, you grow and expand, and it's not that it's, you're better because you continue to grow and expand. It's just, it's just the way your path is unfolding. And some people are here for a little bit of it. Some people are here for a long time. Some people are here till the end. Like, And I'm okay with all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's, you know, there's people that I'm not willing to, that I will do everything I need to, to make sure that if we walk, we have no regrets and no residue. And that to me is, that takes a lifetime. That, that is, yeah. I mean, it's only been 10 years and I just can't imagine like how awesome we're going to be in 20 years. Like, (laughs) it's just like, yeah, like the two old Muppets. Yeah. And to me, I, I value that over having six, six um, friends to drink wine within a book club, which I think is also great, but I I'm here for, I'm here for the growth. I'm here for the really, really, truly understanding who I am. And I, I need people who see me to do that work and people who tell me the truth, even if it's hard to hear. Yeah. Yeah. No, I so love that you are making that distinction. It's not that there's anything wrong with living in a 
living from a place that is masked or is uh, in inside of a belief structure. It's nothing wrong with it. It's it's a different life though. It, that like that's what I think is important to be clear about. It's a different life. It's not better or worse than what we're talking about. It's not right or wrong. It's different. And yeah. as I have discovered very recently, the two don't really coexist at a certain point. They don't coexist anymore. And yeah. so that's, that's, a, that's a cost. It's the hard that you choose and both are perfectly yeah. valid and perfectly beautiful. And I love book club. I love drinking wine with, with friends and, but I, I, I like it. Right. But I love deep connection and <laughs> way more. Yeah. Me too. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I just have a beautiful question to wrap with for you. Oh, right. oh, yeah. God. No, it's a good one. It's a really good one. Okay. Okay. Hit me. You can take a second to think about it, but my question okay. for you, it's very related to Satya. I want you to name okay. an, an impactful childhood movie where you admired someone for telling the truth, or you learned about the power of truthfulness through this film or a character in the film. Hmm. This has Ari Nazan written all over it. Did oh, you guys do this together? Lindsay Nazan special. Ari did not contribute. Hey, well, I'm going to, this, this is the one that came, but Anna Green Gables. Yes! That's yours too? That's because we're bosom friends. Kindred <laughs> spirits. <laughs> I love you. Oh my God. And we did not plan this. I promise. We did not plan this. Oh my God. Anna Green Gables. Man, she took a beating for telling the truth. Freaking hell did she and ever. Nobody would. Yeah. They just gave her such a hard time. So yeah. I, I loved that character. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like, I mean, there's nothing to really say about it. If you know, Anna Green Gables, you know, like all she did was speak the truth the whole way through that show. Yeah. And she got punished all the time for it. And she thought she was the bad one. And she was the black sheep because she was the redhead and the Anne with the E and all the things. And, but what I, the character that I love that taught me this, and this is where, and I was thinking back and you know, I was telling the story, about I think I always knew about the truth and I, I could feel it inside. And I knew it was there because of these, these leaders and Miss Stacy, who is her teacher. Oh, yes. Yes. Right. She says when they're walking from school that day after she got in trouble for reading her novel in class, in her science class or whatever, um, she says, Diana will always, Diana Barry will always be your friend because the truth sets you free. Mm. She says that, you know, Anne's response is like, that's the most profound thing I've ever heard. Like she's just, you know, she's completely (laughs) awed by this piece of insight and, you know, Miss Stacy says it like so anchored in the truth of knowing that that is real, that Anne just has to be Anne and that yes. Diana will be her bosom friend forever because she told the truth and she just, yes. the fierceness with which she says it and the foot and at the same time, this casual way, she just sort of like lets it roll off her tongue was it. I never forgot that. And I say it all the time. I said it earlier in the podcast that. and I, I believe that with every fiber of my being and mm-hmm. I always have, and it has been a guiding light for a long time, for better or for worse. Um, you know, I yeah, I love that. I love that show. I love that series, and it it, it was it's iconic to me. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we'll watch it when you get here. Yeah, we should.
Yeah, so- we should. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. I can't believe we have the same movie of all the movies in the whole wide world. I can't either, but so I'm amazing. not surprised now. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh. Well, that was awesome. That was. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. And we'll we'll see you on social media where we'll post that question because we cannot wait to hear what your answers are to yeah. uh, childhood memory. So we will post that and then we'll we'll see you on Instagram. Ciao for now. That's a wrap. We sure hope you've enjoyed this episode. Lindsay and I are committed to a no edit recording as we want the conversation to be as authentic as possible. We have a big vision of a transparent and fully expressed world and allowing ourselves to be heard uncensored feels integral to that pursuit. In addition, our mission is to wake up, shake up and raise up all authentic voices in cultivating a collective community of rebels on purpose. We are honored to invite you to join the circle and to share your rebel voice in our community. Community is built and sustained through participation. So circle up and engage with us on Instagram at rebels on purpose. If you enjoyed the show today, please drop us a review as this helps us widen our circle and lets us know what you'd like to hear. And lastly, from our fiery hearts to yours, we call you to speak up, be curious, and call forward the sacred rebel that burdens inside of you. What the world needs is humans who are fully alive, living a life on purpose, and honoring all that is sacred.